Take your Bibles, please. I hope you have them nearby. Take those Bibles and turn to the epistle of 1 John chapter 4. That's where we're going to start. 1 John chapter 4. We're in a new series of messages talking about the fact that you are loved by God. Here's the key concept. God has always already loved you. He has always already loved you. Throughout this series, we're going to look at the various aspects of God's love for us. And today we look at that aspect of His love is prior. His love is first. He loves us already. Now, if you pay attention to the news from evening to evening, you'll see that we still suffer in our planet with the same problems we've always suffered with. Even though in our day we live with an explosion of information, even though we have an advancement of technology and all sorts of appliances and gadgets that are supposed to make our lives lives of leisure, we still have stress, we still have hatred, we still have poverty, we still have war, we still have violence and crime and bigotry. Why have we not advanced beyond these things? And the reason is because information and education and technology and leisure time aren't the solutions to the problems that society faces, nor the problem of the human heart. Love is the solution, specifically God's love, God's love for you. We want to understand it. We want to rejoice in it. God loves you. And we recognize that as we say yes to the love of God, what happens is His love changes us from the inside out. We become that new person that we need to be. And that new person operates in a transformational way in society. Love. Talk of love is all around us. Songs of love are on the radio every day. But there's sort of a different look in terms of love, by way of definition. They don't all say the same thing. Sometimes what they describe in love is kind of sappy. Sometimes it's abstract. Sometimes it's perverse. In other words, there's all sorts of things called love out there, and they can't all be true love. Many are fake and counterfeit love. I like what the theologian Peter Kreft says, he says uh, uh, one of the things that's true is the more important a thing is, the more counterfeits of that thing there are. There are no such thing as counterfeit paperclips, but there are plenty of counterfeit religions. And I would add, there's a lot of counterfeit love out there, faked and false. But the Bible shows us the love of God, and it shows us the love of God for us as if it were a multifaceted gem. As you turn that gem and you see the different aspects of the love of God, you see new truths every time you rotate it just a little bit. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks, rotating that gem of God's love. And today we start with this foundational idea. God has always, already loved you. So let's read together. First John chapter 4, we'll start our reading in verse 19. John writes, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now let's start by focusing on verse 19. We love because He first loved us. 
God initiates the love. Our love for Him is in response to His first love. We don't have to earn God's love. God already loves us. He doesn't say, clean up your act and then I will love you. He doesn't require that we do better, be better, look better, or get better than we are, and then in some way He will choose to love us. He says, I already love you just the way you are, unconditionally. Now that's very different than the kind of love we see out in the world. The world's definition of love always has an if attached to it. I love you if, if you're good looking, if you make a good living, if you drive a nice car, the list goes on in terms of the ifs that are attached to it. But along comes God and the if this if is taken away. Nothing you could do will ever make God love you more and nothing you could do will ever make God love you less will ever prevent God from loving you. He's saying, I already am there. I already love you. This unconditional aspect of God's love is something that we human beings find very difficult to grasp because human love is mainly conditional. Surely at first there's conditions attached. I love this person because of what this person does for me or what this person makes me feel when I'm with them or, or, or the enjoyment that we share together and the things that we do. There's conditions that are there, and should the conditions change, so my affections would change. We all know what it's like to love and be loved conditionally, but unconditionally. Loved before we earn it, prior to even wanting it. Loved when we were enemies of God, when we didn't care about it. That's God's love for us. Before we even heard about it, He already loved us. We all must get this. God is not sitting in heaven waiting for you to do that great thing so that then he will choose to love you. He's not waiting you to step up to the plate and earn it. It's already there. He loves unconditionally. Most people don't get that. And so what we see all around us because we don't get that is a lot of people running around doing all sorts of things hoping to get God's attention to get them on his good side earning the love, or the opposite, the exact opposite. We look at that and we say, I will never be able to do that. I'm going to toss in the towel. I'm not going to even give God a second thought. I'm going to live my life my way because seeking to please Him seems too hard. And what I want you to see is both extremes are wrong. God invites us to surrender to His love that is already there. When you surrender to that love, you will find it waiting for you. God's love is first, and God's love is persistent, persistent through betrayal. God loves us even in those moments when we are seduced by other loves. I've been around long enough to know that human love usually does not survive being cheated on. I've seen it happen occasionally. I've seen the deep pain of a wayward lover being tempered by emotional work, in-depth counseling, honesty, new beginnings, and forgiveness over the long haul. I've seen that, but often it doesn't work that way. Often the emotional wound of betrayal is too deep. Often the scar doesn't go away. Nothing heals, and the relationship is lost. Somebody has cheated, and the love is gone. We all have cheated on God. 
And I'm not talking about before we came to faith, before we said yes to his grace and mercy and love, prior to a relationship with him. I'm saying that even those who, of us who are in the family of God, born again by his grace and power, there are times when other loves overshadow him. And I think it hurts, just like being cheated on. And I use that image because that image is found in the Bible. God himself talks about his people as sometimes acting like an adulterous wife. The people of Israel being seduced away from the worship of the one true God. And the prophet Jeremiah uses that very image. And then he says this in Jeremiah chapter 3. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. God invites them back, even as a, a betray, betraying spouse, yet he says return. In fact, this image is the whole storyline of the book of the prophet Hosea. It happens in our lives as well, in those season, seasons when other things become more important. Other loves take precedent, and we push God to the side. It's a betrayal, but yet God loves you. In the words of one author, he says, God's love is constant in its faithfulness, continual in its expression. It neither diminishes nor disappears, regardless of our circumstances. I love that last sentence. It neither diminishes nor disappears, regardless of our circumstances. God's love is tough. He hangs in there. He's persistent. I remember a story about a young man who was raised in a Christian home. But as he became an adult, he totally turned away from the standards and the beliefs and the faith and the practice of his family. He was a young adult. He still was living in the home of, of his parents, but he became angry and hurtful and belligerent, and he often came home drunk at night and, and was far away from the way his parents wanted him to live. One night, he came home so drunk that he lay down on his bed with his clothes still on, and he vomited all over his clothes and his pillow and his bed sheets. And sensing there was a problem, his mom slipped out of her bed, and the father felt her leave. And he thought that she was where he often found her in these kinds of circumstances, down in the kitchen, kind of silently crying. And so he went to find her, to comfort her, but she wasn't there. She, she was in her son's bedroom. He came and he stood in the doorway, and she wa he watched as she was dabbing the vomit from his face and stroking his matted hair. And the father asked her in a whisper, what are you doing? And her response was this. He won't let me love him when, I'm awake, when he's awake. That's persistent love, and that's God's love for you. But God's love is unlimited. The scope of God's love encompasses the entire world. A couple of weeks ago, our focus verses were from John chapter 3, the Gospel of John, and there it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I hope you never get tired of those two fantastic verses. That's the core of the Gospel, the description of God's 
unlimited love. He loves the world. He hates sin, but he never stops loving the sinner. And his love has a mission. It's described in the book of Romans chapter 5. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was the mission. See, the love of God is costly, costly to him. The mission of God's love was a costly one. Here's a thought to remember. The quality and depth of love is demonstrated by the costliness of the action that love takes. The quality and the depth of love is demonstrated by the costliness of the actions that love takes. You see, it's easy to say that I'm in love when what we mean by I'm in love is I like going out on dates with you. I like watching movies with you. I like having pleasant times with you. But costly love is powerful love. And God's love is costly because he paid that cost and he made the way for us. God's love is transformational. There is a central identity for every follower of Jesus Christ. And that central identity is transformational. It will alter who you are and change the way you live. That identity is this. I am deeply loved by God. Even though I don't deserve it, even though I could never earn it, I am deeply loved by God. And because I believe that I am deeply loved by God, I am transformed into a different person. And that person is able to love others. That's where John goes. Let's go on to verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I remember the scene back in Exodus chapter 34. Moses has been up on the mountain there in fellowship with God. And when he comes back down to the camp, he is altered. His face is glowing. Proximity to God, the, the nearness to God, the fellowship there has altered him. It teaches us that when you are close to God, there will be telltale signs. His nearness, his fellowship transforms us. And here John says how? It causes us to be people who love others. In fact, John says it's impossible to say you love God and not be a person who loves other people. If in your life it is obvious that you don't love others, it is also equally obvious that you don't love God, no matter what words you use to describe yourself. When you love God, you're in his family, and in the family, there is a family resemblance. Uh, resemblance. There's a trait that comes along with being in that family. Every once in a while, Sylvia will say to me, you sound just like your father. In fact, it's kind of scary how much I'm turning into my father. Then maybe you're like that as well. You catch yourself, maybe a glance in the mirror or something you say, and say, oh, that's my mother coming out of my own lips. We have family traits that we fall into, kind of a, a, just a pattern or a way of expressing or whatever it is. And there is a family trait for those in the family of God. It's an emotional and spiritual trait. It's the ability to love. We have that characteristic in us. It's, a, it's an emotional DNA hardwired into those who are really His. And John says that there is a primary circle where that love needs to be shown. Look at verse 21. And He has given us this command. 
Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, you can expand that. The sense of the writing is his brother and sister. He's talking about the family of faith. It should show first. This loving transformation should show first in the family of faith because our deeds reveal our heart. Our words reveal our heart. We have been transformed at a heart level by the love of God. So, verse 21 says, you who are followers of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you are tasked for a double love. Love God and love your brothers and sisters. Concentrate there. Now, he's not eliminating our love for others. It's not that he's saying don't love other people, but he's saying that's where it begins and it should radiate from you to the family of faith and then beyond. And so we are called to this double love. And it's all in a response because it's first, God loves us. And as we love Him back and love others, we grow in this journey called faith. Once you truly experience the love that God has for you, it is, it is the fuel of your life for loving others. And what should that love look like? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us what that love should look like in 1 Corinthians 13. It should look like this. Love is patient. Are you patient with others in the family of faith? Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice Delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Do you have persevering love for the brothers and sisters in the family of faith? That's where it starts. It's time that we took those verses out of the wedding ceremony only and see what Paul meant us to do with those verses, and that is to apply it to life broadly. This is the way we pass the test. This is the way we show that we really do love God by loving others that way. And John continues to uh, make that point as we enter chapter 5, but in fact, he he twists it around a little bit. Listen to these verses. Follow along with me. Chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. I wonder if you notice how John restates but reverses the logic as he goes into chapter 5. Chapter 4 says, this is how you prove your love for God by loving others. Chapter 5 says, this is how you prove your love for others by loving God. But then he adds one more element in his thought. Did you catch that additional element? You prove your love for others by loving God, and the way you demonstrate your love for God is by obeying His commands and seeing them not as burdens, but as blessings. See, the logic is this. Once you are convinced, I mean really convinced down to your toes that God loves you, you're not going to question His direction for you because you're confident that those directions come from a heart of love seeking the best for your life. And those directions are found right here in the Bible. This is an extremely important point for us 
to see that the way God commands us to live is birthed in love. It's, it's important for all of us, but it's especially so for those young people who are watching, who are forming a worldview. You want to know if an action or an opinion or a restriction is something that is good and righteous and loving. Don't hold your finger up to the culture. Don't go by what you see in the media, but rather ask this question. Is this action or thought or opinion in line with the teaching of the Word of God? And do I accept those teachings as the best thing for me, given to me from my loving Heavenly Father. When you can say yes to that in terms of the way that God wants to direct our life, you prove your love for God and your love for the faith family. However, when you would rather the, uh, yourself and the people around you define happiness and love and kindness the way that the world defines it because you agree with an untransformed opinion in a fallen society, you show that you love neither God nor the faith nor his family. You see, in that state, when that's what we think, we will see the commands of God as burdens. Chastity before marriage will be a burden. Not cheating on my taxes when I could and get away with it, that would be a burden. It will seem like a burden to tell the world that homosexual practice is not God's intent. We will be out of step. It will be a burden to advocate for life of the weakest parts of our society when the world says, do away with them. It's a burden to stand up and say, I stand for racial justice and love and brotherhood. Our advice and our opinion will run in the opposite direction often of the world, and it will seem like a burden unless you know that God's directions are born of love and He loves you through and through. And all of this has implications. For our love for God is our heart's response to God's love. We love because He first loved us. Our love is secondary. His love is primary. Our love is the echo. His love is the calling voice. And when you know that, it will transform you. It'll change your mind about things. It'll change your choices about things. It'll change what you do with your money and what you do with your time. And all of that will not be a burden. Why? Because you are greatly loved. You, by name, greatly loved. A.W. Tozer wrote these words. He said, God does not love populations. He loves people, individual people. He loves you and he knows you by name. And that's something worthy to rejoice in. It reminds me of a story about a man named Edward Farrell. Edward Farrell lived in Detroit, but he was of Irish descent. And he decided one uh, summer he was going to travel back to Ireland, meet his relatives that he had never met there, and just be a part of the ancestral village uh, that his family came from. And sure enough, that's exactly what he did. He had a wonderful time, and he found that his relatives in Ireland were wonderful believers in Jesus Christ. They, they just followed the, uh, the Lord closely. And, and one day, his uncle uh, invited him to come on a walk at dawn along Lake Killarney. And the uncle was on the uh, shore of that lake, the, the beach the area there, as the sun was rising. And the uncle uh, stood and basked in the sunlight as it came up over the lake. And pretty soon that uncle, beaming in a beautiful smile, began to dance, just uninhibited joy. And, and uh, uh, Edward said, uncle, why are you so happy? Tell me, why are you so happy? It's so early in the morning. And the uncle said with tears of gratitude going down his face, 
Aye, lad, the Father is so very fond of me. Yes, laddie, the Father is so very fond of me. That brings joy. And you can say that too. The Father is so very fond of you. You are loved with an everlasting love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these verses which remind us so powerfully who we really are. Forgive us for the times when we doubt our identity, when we doubt the fact that you love unconditionally. Forgive us for the times when we get distracted in our love. But Lord, we rejoice in you. Lord, we want to live for you. We want to thank you that nothing can ever take this deep love away and help us, Lord, to say yes to your directions in life. Born out of love, we want to follow. So thank you, Lord. Help us to represent this love in the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.